This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Hey, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy Scroggins here, as always, in the office complex at Family Church downtown West Palm Beach, along with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, engineer Carly Seelman, and joining us via Zoom is my good friend and compadre, Coach Chris Hobbs, who is the athletic director at the King's Academy and church member at Family Church, and Dr. Coach Chris Hobbs also is an academician, and he is a scholar of the relationship and the interplay between athletics and Christian education. And he's an incredible motivator, big influence on the Scroggins family, and a tremendous, tremendous husband, father, and church member. So Chris, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Jimmy and Leslie, it's great to see you as members of my church family, and always an honor to share some thoughts with you guys. Yeah. Now, Leslie, Coach Hobbs is one of the biggest motivators that we have around here, don't you think? He sure is. Yeah. He's been a great friend to us. And we've had him on the podcast before. So if you didn't hear that, because Pastor Jimmy firmly believes that pastors can learn a lot from coaches. Mm -hmm. And we've learned a lot from Coach Chris Hobbs and the way that you interact with your team, things about positive touch, how to encourage people toward goals. So we really appreciate your insights, Chris. Yeah. Let's talk about positive. No, I'm just kidding. Let's talk about something else during (laughs) the pandemic. Bad example. (laughs) I'm dying. Bad example. My life's mantra is dead right now. That's right. Yeah, I know it. Now, now, Chris, you really have seized the moment, though, I think, and I've seen you do it on social media, and I know you personally. You have tried to make this pandemic an opportunity for you to develop personally and professionally, and you've encouraged the people at the King's Academy to do the same thing. Why don't you talk a little, little bit about what you're thinking along those lines? Yeah. So growing up, the off season was always such a big deal to me as an individual athlete. And I was just a high school, small, private Christian school right outside of Philadelphia and then played small college basketball. So I wasn't an elite athlete, but I did love it. And I invested a ton of time and energy in it. And so the off seasons are something that like whatever reason God wired me is what I really enjoyed. I enjoyed going away for a while, focusing on some things and seeing if I could transform something about myself for when we returned to the season or the school year. And so this experience in some ways has kind of touched that in me again. And so as I knew things were going to pause, things were going to change, many of us were going to go separated away from each other. I was thinking about, okay, like what can we do right now? What can I do professionally leading in my role at the King's Academy? What can I do personally to kind of leverage this like an off season? And one of the things that became clear is as I was reading and talking with people, you know, I'm always trying to collect wisdom from all sorts of sources was whatever we do really well right now will return to us tenfold when we get back to whatever normal is going to look like. Mm. And so that thought has really kind of put lightning in my veins. And so I've shared that thought with my children. And after one of your sermons devotional, you know, don't waste the crisis. I went ahead and preached to him again, you know, about <laughs> leverage this experience. Uh, I've shared it with my coaches and our directors in our weekly Zoom meeting at Kings. We've got about, uh, I think it's about 25 varsity head coaches and directors. So we're blessed with some awesome people that I get to connect with weekly and just kind of 
encourage them. And so that this has been one of those thoughts, like whatever we do well now is going to return tenfold when we get back to normal. Because if you can figure out how to do something well now, you got a pretty good chance of probably hitting a home run when you get back, because this has just been so unprecedented and complicated. I think that's such a great point. And the King's Academy, for our listeners who don't know, is a great Christian school, a large Christian school. They have a full offering of athletic programs, hundreds and hundreds of athletes, and Coach Hobbs oversees all of that. So, so Coach, I'm interested in what you're thinking about the future of high school athletics. And the reason I want to talk about this on Church for the Rest of Us is I think there's a high cultural value on high school athletics across the country. And I think what happens with high school athletics will be immediately reflected in what we're able to do in churches, especially in regards to kids and student ministry, which will kind of set the tone for the rest of the church. So I'm just curious, you're you're as networked as anybody I know and engaged as anybody I know, what's going to happen with high school athletics in the next, you know, season of of months and what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me kind of put my foot in the ground and pivot on that one. I would encourage any leader to avoid speculation and optimism right now. If you know the concept of the Stockdale paradox, Admiral Stockdale was a uh, Vietnam POW. He was in a POW camp in Vietnam for, I think it was eight years, suffered 20 different abusive interrogation situations, torture situations, and he navigated it all and led many to survive with him. And they were eventually returned to their proper place in the United States. And Stockdale says that he was asked in an interview once after all that, what was a sure sign someone wasn't going to survive the POW camp? And he said, optimism. Hmm. He said, the moment you started thinking, I'm going to be home by Christmas, or the moment you started thinking, hey, you know, within three months, I know, you know, my my squadron's going to come find me. He said, the moment you started attaching timelines and absolutes right. to what you thought would happen, he said, was the moment you, you were dead man. And so the idea is, I'm not at all a Debbie Downer. I'm a big time, positive, you know, fired up type person. But I think there's a fine line between optimism and hope. And hope is a belief that things will turn for the better, but you don't attach absolutes to it. You don't say always, we will always, we will never. And you don't really attach timelines to it, especially in something unprecedented like that. So I would suggest that to just about any leader. Don't speculate and don't be optimistic, but do be hopeful and pay attention to the road signs. You know, Mm -hmm. we're seeing all sorts of road signs right now that are giving us little glimpses here and there. Some of the road signs that I'm paying attention to is my sources of information. You know, we're in a day and age where we have access to all the information. You know, it's called the internet, it's called social media, and but you got to know your sources. And so, you know, some people have tried to politicize this. You know, I, I would say any source that appears to be politicized, I would say be careful, you know, what you take from it. Um, I would pay attention to organizations that are just kind of out for the greater good as much as they can be. You know, the World Health Organization, the CDC, national organizations that are really for the good of the people service. So like the the National Federation of High Schools is really for the just the good of educational based athletics. The NIAAA is another organization I'm from. So for any leader, pay attention to your sources, know your geography. So like here down in Palm Beach County, we're sitting right on a coast. And so, you know, pay attention to other coastal regions and how they're interacting with this because of the nature of international in and out and things like that. I would also pay attention in regards to your geography, like your, your clientele, your people. So we've got a ton of New York City, New Jersey, you know, flowing down here, which doesn't mean we have to operate like I'm a New Jersey native. We don't have to operate like New Jersey and New York, but you understand your people will might think like that, you know, and so that that's something you need to pay attention to. And then know your best practices for moving forward. We're going to move forward slowly. I am very hopeful that we'll move forward, but it's going to be slow. And we need to know what best practices for each of those slow 
steps. And then I would plan small steps for. So for high school athletics, I think that we will begin to take small steps forward. Indiana has announced that June 1, they are going to give their high schools permission. The Indiana High School Athletic Association is going to give their high schools permission for coaches and kids to begin to get back together in some form. And so that that's a little bit of information. doesn't mean we are Indiana. We have to do it that way, but that's a little bit of information. Georgia is moving that direction and that's regional to us. So that's geography for us. You know, so that's something we pay attention to. Texas TAPS is the Athletic Association of Private Schools and Parochial Schools in Texas. They're beginning to make small steps for returning to some form of normal. So I'm hopeful that we will begin to see some small steps forward. I think what will rule the day is best practice on social distancing and best practice on pre-screening. I think that will ultimately rule the day. The numbers early on will rule the day, you know, uh, 10s or less, 50s or less, depending on what you're looking at and what standards. But I think ultimately, small steps forward will lean very hard on appropriate distance. How do we manage that with people? And how do we, how do we pre-screen as best as possible when it comes to high school athletics? So I think those two things, we should be making big plans around those things. Hey, one of the questions that's really important to me as a parent and as a pastor is that team sports make distancing impossible for practice in games. Even no matter what you do with the spectators, I'm curious as to what the pulse is because I can easily see how tennis and golf could distance, maybe swimming, but how do team sports even, you know, right now our our society is really bought into to pretty strict social distancing. What what are the athletic directors saying? What's the pulse of that? Yeah. The nice thing about, well, let, let's talk practices specifically, which I think applies to youth ministries because you can in some way control who you're engaging in a youth ministry, a Wednesday night meeting, you know, or, hey, let's, we're going to have an activity together in our family life center. You know, you were going to invite seniors only. So it's going to be 25, 30 kids. And so from a practice standpoint, athletics, that's similar. Again, pre-screening is everything. And post-activity cleaning and sanitizing is everything. So I do think part of these small steps forward, we will leave a concern about numbers and we will begin to lean heavily. Again, I'm talking about the atmosphere of practice. No, yeah, I got it. Yep. I think we will lean heavily on pre-screening student athletes and coaches before every experience, every practice, every weight room session, you know, everything like that. We will lean heavily on pre-screening which could be everything from temperature taking to pre-screening questionnaires that have to be answered every seven days to if the testing becomes a little bit more available and a little bit less invasive because right now the test is pretty physically challenging. Yeah, and it takes um, forever to get the results. Exactly. Like you, need, you, know? you need a swab with a 30-minute turnaround. That's, That's right. exactly right. You know, So I think down the road, testing becomes part of that pre-screening. I don't see it necessarily in the near future just because we're just not there yet. We don't have that available to us yet. I think pre-screening and then post-activity cleaning and sanitizing is huge. Mm. So I would say youth ministries and pastors and and athletic directors and school leaders, they're going to have to, from a financial standpoint, begin to swing some resources towards, hey, how can we really pre-screen well and how can we sanitize well after the event? I think those things are in the future once we've gotten over the hurdle of numbers. I think phase two, like we're in phase one here in Florida, Palm Beach County actually went phase one a little bit later than the rest of the state because we're so densely populated. But I still think that we are taking small steps forward. So I'm hopeful that those steps will just continue one foot in front of another. And we'll get we'll get past the concern about numbers, practicing and training crowds and stadiums is a whole different conversation. But practices and training, which I think applies to a lot of youth group meetings, those dynamics are similar. 
I would say prepare to put resources in pre-screening and then post-activity sanitation and cleaning. Okay. I think that's extremely, extremely, extremely helpful because, you know, one of the things that we have been talking about is what do we do with camps in the summertime. And so we haven't, we've made a call that we're not going to have kids camp because it's in June. That doesn't make sense to us. We have a student camp in July. I think it's, we're still looking at that one, but the, the real issue is if they're not having, for instance, if you're not having any team sports practices over the summer because of concerns, it's unlikely that we would, I mean, you can't social distance and have student camp, right? Like student yeah, camp no. doesn't, <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. Good, but no one would go. <laughs> yeah. And nor would they want, nor should they. It's kind of like football practice. If you're going to have a football team at the Kings Academy this fall, the team can't social distance from one another and play football. It's just not how it works or basketball or soccer or anything else or volleyball. So that's where it's, it's fascinating to me as you kind of work through these things, because it does have broad application to people who work with students and children in, in large numbers uh, like you do. I, I think that's very helpful. Leslie, the pre-screening is something that I hadn't really thought of as a responsibility of a gathering institution but I'm fascinated to hear that because I think that's something that we could maybe learn from. Yeah, definitely learn from that. And of course, all of that requires resources. So that's something to consider as well, Chris, as people are doing that. I mean, is that something that they're having to invest a lot of resources in as they move forward? Again, this podcast is really designed to apply to any church. So for some churches, you know, purchasing 50 thermometers for pre-screening purposes would be a significant, you know, use of their resources. But I think it's probably a use of resource that will be necessary if you want to instill confidence in your people that you are taking the necessary measures that when we gather to worship, we are going to prioritize safety. We believe we can now gather for worship sometime down the road, you know, but we're going to prioritize your safety above even that gathering. And here's how we're going to do it, you know, and, and pre-screening measures. So, yeah, that's a resource. Another big resource that's kind of on the back end of the sanitizing would be there's what's called electrostatic sprayers which are environmentally safe and they've got all of these FDA, you know, either accommodations or sanctions with them. But basically you spray everything down with these electric static sprayers, chairs that kids sat in, toys that they played with in the nursery, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's safe for the humans to be around, but it does have FDA approved impact on killing things like like COVID, like coronavirus. There's another one, uh, the name of it escapes me. I'm going to call it a massive fogger that's for basically fumigating hmm. in the same way electrostatic sprayer does fumigating larger spaces, you know, where people have gathered, turn it on, it's mobile, turn it on 10 minutes later, you fumigated the place. Then the, the fog that has the mist in it with the chemical in it, which again is safe for humans to be around at some point kills everything, move on. So like those would be extreme uses of resources. You know, you're, you're starting to talk like the, the fogger machines are like $11,000 a piece, stuff like that. But you know, for a church to purchase one, so you can roll around your family life center and disinfect large spaces fast, especially let's say if you're having a preschool event with moms in the morning and in the same space, you've got your youth group coming in, you know, with 25 teenagers at seven o'clock at night. And you know, I mean, if you want to deal with that quickly, one of those fog machines could be uh, pretty, pretty valuable. Yeah, that's extremely helpful. So I hope our listeners are hearing this because I really think that churches of any size could think about their own process for pre-screening. And the good thing is there is an investment of resources, but all of those are scalable to size, right? So if you have a church of 50, you don't need 50 thermometers. You know, I, I really do think this is very helpful. And then the sanitation aspect in between. And I think the reason I want our listeners to hear this very carefully is, again, as long as you're conducting activities where you can sort of enforce or have a high expectation of, of social distancing, then I'm not sure all of this really 
I think you can figure that out. But if you're going to do anything with students' ministry, children's ministry, honestly, having any kind of choir, any kind of band or anything where they're they're using any kind of exhalation <laughs> on a regular basis, you're going to have to think carefully about pre-screening and about how to clean up afterwards. So that's extremely, extremely helpful. So do you think that kind of characterizes the new normal, like for a while until we get some kind of vaccine, if we ever do, just this whole idea of another level of pre-screening and sanitation is what we're need to be driving towards? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think new normal for the short term, again, speculation and optimism is about timelines. So like we don't have timelines on this stuff because we didn't it before. But I would say for the immediate future, once we get past the hurdle of numbers, right now numbers is a big deal. Like restaurants are 25% capacity or less, you know, and group gatherings are 50 or less. On our beaches here in Palm Beach County, you're not allowed to congregate. You're allowed to be down there walking and moving and throwing a Frisbee, but you can't all just sit down on a town sunbathe together, right? Like, so like once we get past that hurdle, which I think every day we're making a small step that direction. I don't know how many steps we've got to take to get past it, but I think we're every day we're making a small step forward. Once we get past the hurdle of numbers, everything will be driven by pre-screening and post-activity sanitation. The Fogger Machine, one of the places you could look it up. Again, I'm not endorsing this place. They're not giving me any money for this, but Global Disinfection Systems. If you were to Google that, you would get an idea of what those foggers look like and what they're capable of. All right. Now, is there anything that you're feeling as you talk to educators? Is there anything that you're feeling about? I know you don't want to speculate and certainly don't want to attach timelines, but where do you think we're headed in Florida when it comes to, do you think schools are more likely to try to regather in person or less likely, or would you rather not say? I think every educator and educational leader in Florida is working hard to figure out the combination lock to getting everyone back together. For probably a decade now, there's been this huge conversation among educators of how disruptive technology would be on education, but no one seemed to really have to respond to it. you know. And then all of a sudden, coronavirus showed up, and now we had to respond to the disruption. And I don't say disruption in a negative way. I just mean it changes things you know, that technology has been to education. So I think it is very likely that we will see some hybrid versions of education. I think educational leaders are working hard to bring kids back to campus. I think there's a lot to be said, especially as a Christian educator, beyond the curriculum is what's called the living curriculum. And the living curriculum is the life-on-life interaction of teacher to student. It is coach to student athlete. You know, it's administrator to teacher. The living curriculum, another way maybe to talk about would be your culture the living curriculum is really what makes, in my opinion, all of education so valuable. I mean, if you were looking to Deuteronomy chapter six or Proverbs chapter one, you know, the entire ordination of education is really just to pass along values and ideals. That's what education is supposed to be. We have turned it into standardized st- stuff and very specific industry related topics and academic disciplines. And that's all great. It helps us to be very functional in today's world. But the core of education is to pass along values and ideals. And that is most effectively done via the living curriculum, person on person. And so that being said, I think every educator that's in it for the right reasons, which is most every educator, they know that consciously or subconsciously, they know that. And so they know that education must always have some form of in-person, on-campus, large group social gathering. So I think Florida educators are working hard to figure that out. I think in the short term, there will be some hybrid version for some schools of an online version and an in-person version. 
but exactly specifically what that looks like almost boils down specifically to the educational institution. So what Kings can do with our tuition price point and our resources and our relatively small community compared to Palm Beach County School District, I think it's the third school district in the country, 190,000 kids in Palm Beach County School District. What Dr. Donald Fenroy, who's the superintendent of Palm Beach County Schools, what he can do and what Randy Martin, our president at the Kings Academy can do are two very, very different ballgames. Great, great, Um, great point. Yeah. And it doesn't mean right or wrong. You know, it just means it's two very different ballgames. And so for any church members out there that are, you know, have their kids in Christian education or have their kids in public education, just know, I think your educators are working crazy overtime to figure out how to take full advantage of the living curriculum aspect. Yeah, I think that's so great. My One of my friends and mentors, Dr. David Adams from Liberty University, called it the classroom outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so, so powerful, the living curriculum. So, Leslie, as we kind of wrap this conversation up, any insights or thoughts that you have? No, it's been very fascinating. Thank you, Chris, for your insights that you've given us. And I do love the fact that, you know, we talk about placing value on incarnational ministry, which is a, you know, a church term. So I was curious on how educators feel about that. I'm sure you have different opinions, but is there anything that you feel like you have learned during this that you like in the practice time, in the off field time that you are going to take forward as you begin to think about regathering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've had to be very intentional about is prioritizing the the mission of what I do with our athletic department and prioritizing our purpose above our methods and our programs. Because right now our methods and programs are useless because we've never had this experience before. And so I've kind of had to let those things go. But what happens is when you prioritize your mission and your purpose, Purpose, I would say, is very, very personal. And then mission would be how you kind of demonstrate your purpose through your specific organization. And so my purpose and mission, when I keep them on the forefront of my mind, it's amazing how it informs accurate programs and methods. Mm. And right now, you know, like I said, I've had to drop all of my normal programs and methods. My coaches have had to drop all their normal programs and methods. But talking a lot about our mission and our purpose has helped us to really recalibrate onto relevant programs and methods right now. And so some of it's easy, like Zoom meetings to stay connected with people. Some of it's, you know, you, you got to tap into a little bit more creative or you got to tap into creative people. I'm not super creative, but I think I'm, I'm pretty good at tapping into creative people. And so I'm just trying to, to gather collective wisdom from people so that I can take my purpose and mission and express it in, in relevant programs and methods right now. And I think that's probably an important engaging experience that probably lots of leaders are going through right now. And again, it goes all the way back to what I said earlier. If you do that well right now, it's going to return tenfold when we get back. Hey, Chris, I'm so grateful that you're willing to join us on the podcast today. And I want all of our listeners to really consider, because I'm a big believer that pastors can learn from coaches. There is a lot of overlap between the job of a coach and the job of a pastor. Some would even say that the job of a pastor is to be a coach. In a lot of ways, I think that's right. I'd also just want to encourage our listeners that the, the overlap between the responsibilities of a school and a church are significant. And so there is a lot that can be learned from this podcast, regardless of the size of your church or the situation of your community. These are things that are going to have implications for every neighborhood church in every neighborhood in the United States. And so I hope this is going to be a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. If there's any way that we can help you, you can contact us at Church for the Rest of Us. You can give us a shout out on social media. You can email us. Either way, we're here to help. We want to encourage you and be a blessing to you. We love you. And we'll see you next time on Church for the Rest of Us. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.